much. It's a real privilege. It's always an honor to speak to God's people. You know, if we could see ourselves the way the Lord sees us, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians and he, he wrote a prayer that their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Because when we understand who we are in Christ and how God feels about us, it completely transforms how we see ourselves, how we see God and how we relate to other people. And so I want to encourage us today that as we continue the theme of pursuing discipleship and we're looking specifically at finances, that we allow God to really speak to our hearts. Because sometimes when we mention money, some people get a bit nervous or uncomfortable in church. But we don't need to be uncomfortable because we need to hear what God's word says. Because God's word is always truth. His truth isn't dependent on the situation we're facing or what happened 2,000 years ago, or what's going to happen in 100 years from now. It doesn't change. That's why the scripture teaches that we should build our lives, not based on what we can see with our natural eyes, not based on how we feel about it, but based on the power of God's word. Because the scripture says that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word shall remain. And the scripture goes on to teach that on that day when you and I stand before God, because there's a day coming when every one of us, we're going to give an account of our lives. We're going to give an account of how we lived our lives in this earth. And because God knows that, he tries to prepare us so that on that day, we are not ashamed. Who in their right mind would stand before a judge knowing that they're guilty? It doesn't make sense. You would make sure you've done everything you can possibly do to make sure that when you stand before the judge, everything's in place. The scripture teaches that God sent his son to die for our sin. You know, in 2015, sin is still relevant. Sin is still something that God judges. That's why he sent his son so that we could be free. The scripture says that the devil comes to steal to destroy and to kill. But Jesus came that you and I would have life and life in its fullness or life in its abundance. And so if you and I aren't experiencing that abundance, the problem's not with God. The problem's with us, with our understanding, with what we're doing, with what we're thinking, of how we're believing. God doesn't want his children in debt. God doesn't want his children enslaved to finances and to the systems of this world. God wants us enslaved, as it were, or controlled by the power of his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so part of us understanding God's purpose for finances in our lives is, is revealed or is, we understand it as we seek to pursue discipleship. Now, discipleship, as if I could have the first point of my notes, discipleship is a journey. It's not an event. In other words, there's a process that you and I have to go through in order to fully embrace what it means to, decide to be a disciple. Jesus said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All power and authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. All power over sin, all power over greed, all power over lust, all power over pornography, all power over pride, all power over ignorance, all power over fear, all power over resentment, all power over unforgiveness. Every single thing that the enemy can bring into your life, 
into my life or everything that I choose to bring into my life, Jesus has the power over it. That's why we can become his disciples. It is a central point. It is fundamental to us following Jesus. You cannot get away from discipleship if we're serious about following Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, verse 2, it talks about Jesus being the author and the finisher of our faith. And so how many of you here have ever been on a journey somewhere and you've got lost? Yeah? Even with a tom-tom, you can still get lost. How many of you know that, right? Okay. And then you go again, and this time you know where to go. And so you can advise somebody how to get there without falling in the ditches, right? That's exactly the same with the Lord when it comes to our finances. Finance isn't something we should be afraid to bring to the Lord because the Lord can see ahead and he knows what's coming around the corner. We can't see it. And so that's why it's important to have God's perspective when it comes to our money. Everything you and I do in this life has an effect in the age to come. Every intention, every will, every desire is going to have an effect in the age to come. And that's why Jesus had so much to say about money. Because for different people, money means different things. And it's important that we're honest with God about our heart or our attitude towards money. Because no one here in their right mind would say, yeah, I love money, I worship money, I worship mammon. <clears throat> Very few of us would do that. But the, pr the, proof of the proof of our desire is in our pursuit. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And we know these scriptures, but oftentimes they become head knowledge. And they don't translate into how we live our lives. Brothers and sisters, beloved, beautiful ones, whom Jesus paid the price for your sin by shedding his blood, we need to get to grips with God's perspective when it comes to our finances. And the way we do that is by allowing him, giving him permission to speak to us. Now, I've got my notes, so I might jump about a bit, but if you want the notes, they're available online. But I just want to ask you a question. I think this is the last point on my notes, so please forgive me. Be honest. Just be brutally honest, just for, just for once. Not just for once, just for a second. Not for once. What does money really represent to you? And what is your biggest fear when it comes to money? What's your biggest fear when it comes to money? Because I guarantee, whether it's subconscious or, or you're aware of it, your biggest fear when it comes to money is the thing that will hold you and restrict you from allowing God to have freedom in that area of your life. Because for Jesus, the issue is always the heart. It's not the money but it's the hold that it has on our hearts. Just because somebody is poor, 
it doesn't mean they don't love money. Just because somebody is rich, it doesn't mean that they're chasing money. The issue for Jesus is always our heart. And the scripture says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. And the challenge for some of us is, is that we hear these scriptures so frequently that we forget the potency of them. That if we can allow our faith to mix with that scripture, then it can set us free. Because fear is a snare. It will restrict you from being able to obey what God wants you to do. But I pray in Jesus' name that it will not be a snare in your life, in Jesus' name. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 40, you may think, but I, we're supposed to be talking about finances. What are you talking about separating the sheeps and the goats? But the scripture says that on that day, because there's a day coming, beloved, there is a day coming when Jesus will return. And the Bible says, not Aisha, the Bible says that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And you know, on that day, when he separates them, the goats aren't going to say, oh yeah, I knew I was a goat, I always knew that. They're going to say, but Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do that in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And these scriptures are there to help us, to prepare us. Now, I'm going to go way back in time here. So for you young people, you just have to allow it. How many of you here remember Rocky? Rocky three? Okay, for those, okay, there's a few of us old ones there, still good. Right, for those of you who don't know, Rocky three is about a comeback boxer. He wins a match, and then somebody who wants to fight him decides he's going to challenge him. But because he's won the match, he's thinking he's in the top of his game. He's fine. As long as he does some training, he'll be okay. But his trainer is furious with him. His trainer is trying to press upon him the importance of doing all that needs to be done to win this fight. So he goes to the fight and he gets whipped. The point I'm trying to make is this. There's stuff coming, brothers and sisters. There's stuff coming in the earth. And it's not to frighten us, because the scripture says, they that know their God shall be strong and shall do great exploits. And the darker the darkness, the brighter the light shines. But there are things coming that if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to train us and to prepare us, we're going to get knocked out. But you're not going to get knocked out in Jesus' name. So, let me get back to my notes. So in this journey called discipleship, there are things that come our way to do with finances. And when these challenges and obstacles come, they have the potential to do three things. The first one, that it either draws you closer to God. The second one, you get offended at God and begin to draw back. Or the third one, you think, oh, what's the point of all this? Stuff it. I'm just going to go back into the world. Number two, how you view money is an outward expression of your inward commitment to pursue discipleships. How you and I view our finances is an outward expression. 
Because being a disciple is about making him Lord of our lives. Lord in every area. And because of what money represents to many of us, our willingness to allow the Lord to lead us in that area clearly shows how committed we are to pursuing him in discipleship. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? You know, I'm sure you've all been there where you've wanted to buy something and something has said to you, don't buy that. You can't afford it, but you buy it anyway. Am I the only one? I've heard stories of wives, wives just look, look, just keep his face straight, who buy things and then quickly hide the bags before their um, husbands come home or quickly push it or cut off the labels. Um, but none of the wives here, because I'm definitely not you, Sister Charlotte, definitely not you. And it's funny, but you know what? If we keep not listening to the Holy Spirit when it comes to our finances, we're going to find ourselves in a ditch. And the things that God wants to do through you, he can't do them. Because we're working every hour we can find to pay off, pay off debts that we should never have got in the first place. So we don't have time to serve God. We don't have time to press into prayer. Because we get home, we're so shattered because of all these hours we're working. The idea of praying and spending time with God, it's like, are you crazy? The idea of taking time off work to go and seek God, it's like, are you mad? Because I can't afford it. The idea of taking time out to go into missions, to sow into the lives of others. And that's how the enemy does it. He, he, he ensnares us with the system of the world. But Jesus has come to set us free. Let me just jump ahead. In um, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're talking about discipleship and finances. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 to 16. It says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There's a reason why the scripture urges us not to love the things of the world. Because if that's our focus, if that's our attention, if all we can think about is the here and now and what we can, what we can get, then we've missed it. Our primary pursuit is about serving God it's about hearing his voice it's about following him now there are examples in the New Testament this is point number three of how money affected the issue of discipleship and it's quite interesting because if we didn't have the benefit of the scripture and we had met these two individuals 
we, well, I know I would have automatically assumed that one of them obviously loved money, wasn't interested in serving God, and the other one was serious about serving God. But remember what I said at the beginning. Jesus is interested in what really goes on in here. Our heart. He's not interested in all the other fancy stuff. I mean, we can come to church and we can look the part and we can go through the motions and everyone thinks, wow, what a man of God, what a woman of God. God's not interested in any of that. He's interested in our hearts because it's out of the abundance of the heart. That's where the sin comes from. It's our heart. It's our inner desire, our inner motives. That's why Jesus said on that day, or through the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God says that on that day, everything we've done is going to be tested with fire to show what manner of work it is. Because there are some things, until it passes through the fire, it looks so good. It looks so noble. It looks so holy. It looks so devoted. But as far as God's concerned, it's trash. And other things we look at, I mean, it looks so weak. It looks so beggarly. It looks like such a failure. But in God's sight, it's of tremendous value. The scripture says that Jesus sat by the temple watching how people gave. He was watching how people gave. And the Pharisee came and he gave all that money. If that was you and I would have thought, wow, see this man, he's serious about God. He's really using his money to help the work of God. We would have thought that. If someone stood up here and said, we want to thank God for Pastor Olu. He and Tola have sold their house and they've given 50 grand to the church. We'd think, enough respect. Yeah. The scripture says, and then a widow came and gave half a penny. I mean, seriously, what? I, mean, I don't think they even do half penny coins. Who's of the era when they used to have half peas? Me, just a few of us. You remember half peas, those tiny little... And Jesus made notes. You've seen who all the old ones are. See, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, but every now and again it comes out. But the thing is, how Jesus viewed that gift was completely foreign. That's why when the rich young ruler came and he, and, and he said, you know, he wanted to follow Christ. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments, honor your father and mother, do all the... And he said, yeah, I've done all that all my life. In fact, let's turn to it very quickly. Can you help me with the time, please? Um, the, rich young, the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, verse 22 to 23. Is that how much I've got left? How much I've used? Thank you. Luke um, 18, verse 22. Okay, so the Bible says in verse, from verse 18, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? It's a good question. Obviously, he's serious about wanting to serve God. It's not a bad question. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, that's sex outside marriage, do not murder, don't take the life of somebody, do not steal, don't take what doesn't belong to you, do not bear false witness, don't lie, honour your father and mother, treat your parents with respect. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth, this was a good man, a godly man. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, 
you still lack one thing. Do you know what? Oftentimes in our pursuit of discipleship, we flap about of all these issues and very often there's one thing that God's talking to you about, that one thing. We do everything else, Lord, I'll fast, I'll pray. But that's not the issue God's dealing with you about. That one thing. That one thing, whatever it is that God's putting his finger on, he knows why he's putting his finger on that. That's why I throw that in for free. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Now, he's not the only person in the New Testament who was very rich or in the Old Testament. And to many of us, he would have seemed like the ideal candidate. But according to Jesus, he lacked one thing. That was the one thing he lacked. But it had such a grip on him, he refused to, to, to give that up for the sake of following Christ. And it's interesting, Jesus didn't chase after him. He let him go. That one thing. And the thing is, after that, the people around were confused. They were like, what? How is it possible for anyone to be saved then? Because in the Hebrew or the Jewish tradition, they equated riches with God's approval of your life. So if you were very rich, it meant that God really approved of you. This was the mindset. This was the understanding. Fast forward to 2015. When we see someone who's very rich, we assume it's because they're very successful in life. Because they've been focused. They're determined. Who told you? Let's not even go there. But they were confused. How could he not be saved? Because Jesus went on to say this. And when Jesus saw that he became very, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, it's not Jesus becoming very sorrowful, it's the rich um, ruler. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can, who then can be saved? Our perspectives. Then we've got Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. My friend Zacchaeus, short fellow. In fact, he was so short, he couldn't actually see past the crowds. So, being inventful as he was, he climbed a tree so he could see Jesus passing by. Now, this fellow was a tax collector. And I'm, I'm sure most of you know how tax collectors were viewed. But for those of us who don't, they were just like despicable people. It was even worse than today, um, Elder Jonah. These people... They not only took taxes from their kind, because they were Jews, all right? So let's say the Romans said you had to pay X amount. They would double, triple, quadruple the amount that you were supposed to pay and then pocket the difference. And the thing in those days, if you didn't pay your taxes, you went to jail. So they exploited the vulnerable. They exploited their own for their own financial benefit. So let's see, we've got the rich young ruler here, and we've got Zacchaeus here. I mean, let's, I know for me, I would have thought the rich young ruler was definitely the one who loved God, because he's kept the commandments since his youth. 
this fellow is dishonest, he's greedy, he's covetous. But look what Jesus said to him. Luke chapter 19, verse 5 to 9. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Jesus sees you. No matter how big the crowd is, he sees you. No matter how great the facade, the props, he sees you. He sees you. He loves you. He chooses you. The psalmist said, Lord, you know my ways. You understand my ways. There's some people, I can't understand their ways. And there's some people who can't understand my ways. But God understands. That's why he said, when you pray, forget all the jibber-jabber. Just keep it real. Because those who don't know God think God's going to hear them because of how they speak or how much they speak or how they say it. He's not interested in all that. He's interested in your heart. That's why he says, before you even open your mouth, he knows what you need. But he wants you to open your mouth because it's about relationship. Look, the finances is not the issue. The issue is the hold it has on our heart. Look, God could, God could deposit 50 grand in your account today. It's, trust me, as far as God's concerned, it's not even an issue testimony time. I remember as a young Christian, I hear these stories about people being blessed by God miraculously, financially. And I remember once saying, God, you know what? I'm one of them people that one day I go to my bank account and bam, 10,000 pounds there. You can do it. It's not a big deal for you. You can do it. Fast forward a year or so. I didn't pray it again. I just forgot about it. We're living in Ghana for two years. First year. Sandra, am I lying? Am I lying? Okay. Joseph came back to London. He called me. He said, babes, you're not going to believe it. There's 18,000 pounds in our account. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And I was like, praise God. Yes, yes. Joe's like, no. Let's make sure it's actually us. I was like, oh, don't worry about that. You know, you know. <laughs> See, he's a lot more spiritual than me. And we checked it out. And the money was all ours. So... The issue isn't the money. Well, those of you who know my husband know we didn't get to keep it anyway. He found some ministry to give it to. But the issue was, it's not the money. It's never the money. It's never the sex. It's never the pornography. It's, it's never those things. Sex outside marriage is wrong. It's a sin. But the issue, God's, it's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart that God's interested in. Another time I was down and depressed because of this whole school business and I was sitting there grumbling to myself and it's like the Lord said to me, well, okay, what is it you want? What do you want? I went upstairs, I sat on my bed, I said, okay, I want a thousand pounds so me and my family can go on holiday. That Sunday morning I said that to him. I came to church Sunday morning. I left with a check for a thousand pounds. Now trust me, I get overdrawn just like the rest of us. Okay, so let's not get it twisted, Okay. What's my point? It's not, it's not the money. It's not the money. It's the place that it has on our hearts because of what it represents to us. 
It makes us feel like we're in control. It makes us look successful. It makes us feel better about ourselves. No. The only one who's supposed to do that is Jesus. It's our relationship with him. And until we can let go of that, we will never have what he wants for us. And if we get it, it won't be him that's given it to us. And when he gives it to us, you don't have to violate principle to get it. There are no exceptions. I've been a Christian 20, got saved when I was 14. I'm 42 now. I can't bother to work out the maths. Honestly, I do know maths. For a while, okay, at least 20 years. Tola, there's no shortcuts when it comes to God. There's no shortcuts. You can try and cut corners now, but it'll catch up with you. God is not mocked. Talking about pursuing discipleship and our finances. So we've got the rich young ruler, and then we've got Zacchaeus. Coming back to... um, Verse, Luke chapter 19. Right, Jesus sees you. That's, that was my point, okay. Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. He didn't even mention his money or his corrupt ways of getting it or accumulating it or what he did with it. He didn't even touch it. Seriously, I mean, hello, Jesus. This is Zacchaeus, <laughs> twisted. No good, cheat, fraud. He didn't even mention his money. The Bible says, So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation... I restore fourfold. God's not interested in appearances when it comes to money. He's interested in our hearts. Your attitude to money will affect your ability or will affect your ability to pursue your destiny. Seriously. Because the Holy Spirit can lead us to do something. Maybe it's a course. Maybe it's a type of job. But the first thing that we think of is the financial implication. And if we allow that to control our decisions, we end up missing out on what God has for us. It's very easily done. There are so many things that God has for us, but we, because we don't understand the value of it, or we're so caught up in the here and the now in this world, that we, we miss it. I'm not saying we should be irresponsible. I'm not saying we should be lazy layabouts. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Let's not, like I said, let's not get it twisted. But I'm talking about where we allow an inappropriate attitude towards money to rob us from our destiny guys our destiny your destiny is far is worth far more than any paycheck oh guys your destiny is what is how you're going to spend your eternity i'm not talking about whether you're saved 
We put our trust in Jesus. That's a done deal. But how we spend our destiny, how we spend our eternity will be, is basically how we lived on this earth. Money, that's just a tool. It's, a lit, it's like a litmus test. It shows what's in our heart, but it's a tool. It's not a means in its end. Testimony time again. Joe and I got married, as you know. Our first business investment that we did, in three years, we made a minimum of 70 grand. That's our first business adventure that we did. And again, you know your spiritual father didn't see any of it. <laughs> see, that's why, yeah, he's my husband. I mean, that's just, you know. So for us, we know how to make money, but that's not our calling. Do you understand? That's the first and last business investment we've done. Not because it, we didn't do anything illegal, any funny, funny business, but that's not our calling. Do you understand? And there are some of us who God's called, and that calling means we have to give up that strength to be able to make loads of money. It's not because we can't, we can, because we know all the tricks, we've got the grace, we've got the wisdom, we've got the insight, but that's not God's call for our life. And if you're pursuing something that God hasn't called you to be or do, what's the point? What is the point? What is the point that you live this life and everyone says, oh, wow, you're amazing, you're successful, you're great, you did all these amazing things. And then you get to heaven and God's like, but that's never what I had for you. Whether you're raising the dead or taking a nap, the pay is the same. The issue is what is God saying to you? What is the point? And sometimes when you're following God's plan for your life, it's not easy. There are times you want to have the strength to do certain things, to, to get certain things, and, but you can't because that's not your call. And you can, you can be like Esau who despised his birthright. He said, what, what good is this to me now, this birthright? I'm hungry. And the Bible calls him a wicked person. The reason why the Bible calls him a wicked person was because he put, the, he, he put more emphasis on his natural desires, the fallen nature, the here and the now, than to recognize the value of the, of the future, of the destiny, of purpose. I always say this when I preach and I don't apologize. The one person I never want to meet in heaven is the woman I could have been if I'd only listened. That's why I said discipleship's a journey. And there are some, there are some turns that we make and it affects us forever. I'd like to say, oh, it doesn't matter. Everything happens for a reason. That, wow, I'm not even going to tell you what just came to my mind. <laughs> just saying, oh my Lord. It's rubbish. There are some decisions that you and I make that will change our destiny forever. But we thank God for his mercy that we can pick ourselves up and say, right, this was a big mistake. I should never have done that. But Lord, I ask for your mercy. What do I do now to get out of this situation? Because God is the God of second, third, fourth, chance, third, fourth, fifth, Sixth chance. How much time have I got? Okay. In Joshua chapter 13, verse 33. I don't know why I'm laboring this point, but I just, I feel very strongly that some of us need to hear this and to be encouraged that 
you're not mad or crazy because you're giving up certain things because of what you feel in your heart. It's of great, you know, the currency of heaven is faith. That's the currency of heaven. It's not reputation. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's faith and faith that works by love. Love for God. God, because I love you, I'm doing this. And when we love God the way we're supposed to, we love our neighbor as ourselves. When we love God the way we're supposed to, you can't live in jealousy and envy or covetousness thinking, oh, why has this person got this and I haven't? Or, oh, I want that, that because that person's got that. Or I want this because it make me look like this. And now none of us would ever admit that we ever feel like that. But the reality is for many of us, our whole world is governed by how we look, how people are going to perceive us, how it's going to come across, what are people going to think, how, how, how am I going to... It's rubbish. It is rubbish. The only person's opinion who matters is what God has to say. First and foremost. But we have to hear what he's got to say. To hear what he's got to say, we have to take time to listen. And if we're busy running, chasing after money, you ain't got time. You ain't got time to do that. Joshua chapter 13, verse 33, very quickly. This is when they were separating or dividing the land between the tribes. And in verse 33, it says, But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. So for those of you who God has given you the invitation, say yes. Amen. Certain callings require that you give up your ability or strength to create wealth for yourself. And if money has the wrong priority in our pursuits, we cannot serve God acceptably as a disciple. Jesus wasn't having a laugh when he said you cannot serve God and money. Jesus said that because our natural disposition would be to think that we can. You cannot serve God and money. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Very quickly because of time. Okay, thank you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Do not lay... Up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So in this chapter, or in these, these verses from 9 to 24, first of all, he gets them to identify where their treasure is and where it should be. And then, he's, then he seems to talk about something completely unrelated. In verse 22, he says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It is therefore, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Then he talks about how you perceive. I'm talking about your light, it's about the eye. He's talking about how you perceive things. If how you perceive things is based on truth, which is light, or if you're 
How you perceive things is based on darkness, which is the world. I know sometimes we think there are three kingdoms, black, gray, and white, or darkness, gray, and light. There ain't no 50 shades of gray in the Bible. But I'm sure none of you know what I'm talking about. So just seriously, it's two kingdoms, guys. It's two kingdoms. You know, when I was um, just waiting on the Lord this morning about you beautiful ones, and the, the, the scripture that came to my mind and just popped in was um, Jeremiah chapter 13, where it talks about the potter and the clay. Have you ever seen a piece of clay argued with the potter? Doesn't happen, does it? No. The potter has the freedom to mold the clay as is necessary because when the clay is being molded, I don't, I don't know if you've done pottery, but before they start kneading it, they get the clay and they slap it down. And they pick it up. Then they slap it down to bang out all the air bubbles. And it looks really rough. And I'm sure if the, if the clay could speak, it would say, Ow! What are you doing? For goodness sake. Or as my sister-in-law says, What on earth? And that's what some of us are saying to God. For goodness sake, God, what are you doing? Can't you see the situation I'm in? Is anybody there? Ow! Okay, what next? I mean, it couldn't possibly get any worse than this. And then he picks up the clay and slaps it down. When that clump of clay goes into the fire... If it hasn't been prepared, it will explode. It might not feel like it, but he really does know what he's doing. So then in verse 34, it says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Jesus said that for a reason. Because it's, it, it, it's, it's part of our fallen nature to worry and stress about these sorts of things. But he wants to be our source. Now, when I spoke about making wrong turns, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to look up like this now, okay? And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking. Look, when us preachers are up here, we're, we're speaking about ourselves just as much as a congregation. 
There are some situations we find ourselves in, we didn't get there overnight. It's through a course of choices that we made where we stuck up two fingers at God and said, I don't really care what you've got to say, what your word's got to say, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, it might not be as graphic as that, but you've got the point, yeah? We start and we can feel the Holy Spirit. Mm-mm, this isn't right, this isn't appropriate, blah, blah, blah. But we throw caution to the wind. Wisdom's speaking to us and we ignore it. And then we find ourselves with our face in the, yes, mud would be a better word. <laughs> then once, you've got to keep it real. You have to say, Lord, this is nothing to do with you hitting the, the, the wind out of the clay. This is my own doing. I didn't listen. I've created this mess. It's not anybody else's fault but mine. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, heal me. God, restore me. God is a God of mercy. But we have to be real. We can't blame other people for situations we've created for ourselves. Okay? Those ones, you just have to hold your hands up and say, Lord, I messed up. That's why I'm here. However, there are also situations where we find ourselves in where it's God's doing. You're actually honoring God. You're living your life, trying to do the right thing. And then these situations come up. And I want to encourage you not to get offended at God, not to turn your back on God. Because we can come to church, but in our hearts, you know, certain situations, the temptation's there. So you still serve God, but you don't understand why he let this happen. And so in your heart, you're kind of like, hmm, yeah, yeah. Mm. You can't really be free. You can't really release yourself in his presence because there's that unresolved issue. And as I often say, you know, there are some questions on this side of eternity will never get answered, or that we can never answer. So only when we cross over the other side that we see the wisdom of God. And in those ones, you just have to trust him. You have to trust him, because there's no method in the madness as far as you're concerned. It just doesn't make any sense. But you just have to trust that God knows what he's doing and what he's building in you as a result of that situation. I've got some more things that I wanted to say, but time will not permit me to say all of them. So I've said a lot this afternoon or this morning. How do we fix it? It's all very well highlighting all the stuff, but how do we fix it? Guys... I know I keep saying this. Your father's heart, our father's heart for us, beats with such passion, with such devotion. You don't have to fake it with him. You really don't. Some of us are so used to putting on a brave face, being the strong one, that we do it with God, and we're not really honest, brutally honest, because we think, oh, we'll think, oh, heavens forbid. <laughs> Child, listen, before you even open your mouth, he knows. He knows. 
He knows. He sees everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He sees it all. Just because you've just seen it doesn't mean he didn't know it was there. How do we fix this issue of finances and pursuing God as a disciple? First of all, we have to identify where we're off key when it comes to our finances. Where we've behaved inappropriately when it comes to our finances. We've got the wrong attitude, the wrong, it has the wrong place in our hearts. That's why I ask you, what's your biggest fear? Because if you don't give that to the Lord, the enemy will use it and dangle it. Every time you try and press into God, he'll dangle it. God says, sow a seed. He says, oh, but remember that? Oh, but remember that? God says, I want you to bless someone. And then the thought comes, oh, but remember that? You make a decision, you're going to do something. And then the enemy says, oh, but what if? God has not given us the spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Some of us have got some demons we need to put to, put to bed. Well, not put to bed. That's not quite the right phrase. I'm, we kind of get, we need to, some skeletons in those closets. We just need to clear out once and for all. Identify where the wrong attitudes are. Confess them. Confess means you see it the way God sees it. Repent. Make a decision to change. Not to feed it or to nurture it. And then, finally, listen. Because the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Some of you here, the Lord's saying, you just need to, you need a budget. You need to see how much money you're spending that you don't have. Some of you, it may be no more takeaways, no more Mac, no more eBay. I don't know, no more gadgets, no more holidays. It means some of us young people living at home with our parents, we shouldn't be going on holiday for a year. We should be saving money to buy property. Seriously, seriously. We should be saving our money to, and if you're here and you don't know how to drive, especially if you're a woman, you need to get some driving lessons so you can look after yourself. Seriously. Seriously, those of us living at home, we've got no excuse. Those of you who've got opportunity to study and you're running to, to get a job so you can carry a briefcase in London, Nonsense. Go and study. Look, this issue with the school, they keep telling us we need this, we need that, we need this. Now they're saying to us we need a, a head teacher from an outstanding school. And I was crying, go. And God said to me, Do you remember when you were 18 and you applied to do teaching? Yes. And then you decided you weren't going to do it because you wanted to go and work in the city? Yes. Do you remember the university called you three times and said, please come for an interview because we think you'd make an excellent teacher? Yes. Well, who do you think was supposed to be the outstanding teacher writing the application? So now I'm an expert but with no qualification and I'm chasing the ones who were qualified to make this thing happen. This was when I was 18. Now I'm 42. Young people. But we, we just muddled along and tried to make it happen. You don't have to make the mistakes we made. You really don't. We want you to overtake us. Because there's a wind that's coming and there's a generation that's coming. And oh my goodness. Okay, because of time. Let me, just, let me just take it easy, yeah? Listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Because he knows what's coming down the road. In two, three, four, five, six, ten years time. And you have to be positioned so that when it comes, 
You're not then trying to make up for lost time. Because there are certain invitations, once the season's gone, it's gone. God still loves you. You still go to heaven. You still have a destiny. But that one is, is gone. It's gone. It's over. That's the reality. Beloved, beautiful ones, God is with you. God is with you. He hasn't forgotten you. It might feel like he's forgotten you, but he hasn't. But there's some issues we need to resolve. There's some debts that need to be repaid. There's some apologies that need to be made. There's some budgets that need to be set. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us. You love us, that you rejoice over us. Father, thank you that you are rich in mercies and that your mercies are new every morning. Father, you've spoken to each one of us in different ways. And Lord, I just ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would seal that word in our hearts. Father, we ask you for grace to allow you to speak to us as disciples when it comes to our finances, when it comes to how we use our money, Lord, that, Lord, we would listen to you and give you permission to guide us and to speak to us, that, Father, you'd give us wisdom, financial wisdom from your perspective, not from the world's perspective, but from your perspective, that on that day you'll be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, when it comes to our finances, Lord, we'll be faithful stewards, not greedy squanderers, Lord, but faithful stewards. If this is the prayer of your heart, say amen. Amen. Thank you.